0: Good morning, First Press family. I hope each of you are doing well. James and I are here today to give us a little bit of an introduction to 2 Corinthians. As we've said, each time we start a new book or letter in the New Testament, we want to put out uh, an episode just giving a bit of an overview, an introduction, uh, some context, as well as some key themes and verses or passages that we see in the letter uh, this upcoming, and obviously we begun reading Second Corinthians earlier this week, and so it's definitely time uh, for that. And so as we dive in this morning, uh, I want to begin just by James asking you this question. You know, we we just started First Corinthians, mm-hmm. uh, so just sorry, we just finished First Corinthians yep. a couple weeks ago. We we put an episode out looking at the context for that. Obviously, this is a letter to the same people. Yep. Uh, So as far as context goes uh, for Paul's relationship with the Corinthians, it's the same story. But catch Mm -hmm. us up real quick again. Remind us of Paul's relationship to the Corinthian church. uh, Very briefly, what precipitated 1 Corinthians and then also begin getting into... What we see here in
1: Second Corinthians. Yeah, great question. It is always helpful to look at the context of the letter and to think about what is going on here, because in some letters Paul knows them very well, and some he doesn't know them very well. And for the Corinthian church, as we were talking about last week, uh, Paul spent a year and a half planting and building up this church from the get go. Uh, We see that in the book of Acts, that he went to Corinth. There was initially some opposition, and he actually had a vision and a proclamation from God himself saying, You should stay. Uh, There are people here that I am calling to myself, and I I want you to be a part of that work. So Paul knows them really well. He's really close with this church. He loves them dearly. And before 1 Corinthians, he had left Corinth and they had just begun falling away in the way they were following Christ. Uh, Their actions and their patterns were going into sin, and there was division, and there was all sorts of sin there. And he wrote 1 Corinthians in order to draw them back into uh, a holy and righteous way, living before the Lord. And after 1 Corinthians, uh, there's some time, Paul seems to have sent Titus. He seems to have sent some more help to the church in Corinth because he loves them. Uh, But there have also been some people who have come to Corinth after 1 Corinthians uh, who he calls super apostles. I think probably a little bit mockingly of them. Uh, They claim to be these better than apostles apostles. And they are taking advantage of the bad blood between Paul and the Corinthian church and trying to point them away from Paul's gospel, point them towards a different gospel. And so in 2 Corinthians, Paul seems to really be pleading with them, less so about their uh, sinful life, which he does seem to indicate there's been some repentance already. Right. But he's pleading with them to accept the gospel and him as he proclaims the gospel.
0: Yes, yeah, so um, to summarize that, um, in the absence of Paul's presence, mm-hmm. there have been folks within the Corinthian church who have begun to undermine Paul's uh, authority,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, to undermine uh, the love that the Corinthian church initially had for Paul, and to undermine Paul's teaching. Yeah. And so, as you said, much of 2 Corinthians, almost the entire first half or more, is really a defense. It's a defense that Paul puts up, not only of his own authority and apostleship mm-hmm. to say, hey, I'm not just some random traveling salesman <laughs> trying to pitch you something. Yeah, I don't like, have the snake oil. Everything everything I gave you was from the Lord. Yeah. So to abandon me and to abandon my gospel is really not to abandon me or my gospel, it's to abandon the Lord and mm-hmm. his gospel. That's really what's at stake here. Yeah. So he's pleading with them to reject the lies of what he calls these super apostles who claim that they know better and are bigger and have a
1: better message than what Paul had. And I think even when, you, when we look at how Paul defends himself, I think there is an incredible lesson for us just in seeing how he defends himself. If I were defending myself, it would not be this way. He, he goes into his suffering, so Paul does not say, hey, look at my gospel, look out. It's been successful in Ephesus and Rome. He doesn't say that. Instead, he says uh, in verse uh, chapter 4, he says, uh, I have been like a jar of clay meant for smashing. Mm. Uh, I, he says in chapter 4, verse 17, uh, that there has been uh, affliction for him, preparing him for glory. Uh, and in verse 21, he even says... Uh, In chapter 4, well, there is not a chapter 421. I wrote that in the wrong place. But what he says here is that he is actually being given over to death in chapter 4. That his ministry has not been about his success. He's not going to point at all of the places where God has done a work through him. He instead says, you want to know how I'm working for the Lord uh, I'm actually not getting any worldly success out of it. Mm. I'm actually being uh, condemned and hurt and beaten and mocked by the world. That's how I know that the gospel is from the Lord. And then secondly, he says, let me just tell you the gospel. And if you want to know what my ministry is about, if you want to know why I'm defending myself, here's what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, Paul um, Paul is not interested in defending his own Uh, popularity. Mm -hmm. His own reputation matters nothing to him. His own worldly success, his own um, physical health, all of these things. He's like, no, no, the reason why this matters to me is because the gospel really matters. It's life Mm -hmm. or death. (laughs) And as he will say very explicitly in uh, his letter to the church in Galatia, uh, to abandon the gospel is to invite... Uh, God's judgment upon you. Yeah, and Paul loves these people. He doesn't want them abandoning the gospel, uh, and so that's why he defends himself in his ministry because mm. it really is life or death. Yeah, uh, to believe the truth about the gospel is a matter of life and death. So Paul says, I mean, you can abandon me, but in abandoning me, you're turning your back on the Lord, and that's probably not something that you really want to
1: do. <laughs> that's right.
0: Uh, So, again, it's not about Paul at all. It's not about his popularity. He's not bothered that there's people who are, uh, you know, slandering him. He is concerned about the Lord's glory, his character, the truth of the gospel, and ultimately about the salvation of the church in Corinth. Yeah. And if they turn their back on the gospel, uh, they show that they don't know the Lord Jesus. Uh, which is obviously a very, uh, very massive uh, deal. You you mentioned earlier, we were talking before we started recording, uh, Mm -hmm. how Paul does in some ways here what he does in the book of Romans. Most people don't look at 2 Corinthians as similar to the book of Romans as this massive theological treatise. But it places Paul is very clear and concise about the nature of um, the gospel. Mm-hmm. I think you know Second uh, Corinthians chapter five is one of those places we yeah. uh, we were mentioning where Paul really does mine the depths of the gospel and what Christ accomplished on the cross. And so, fill fill in a little bit of what you were thinking as you mentioned that earlier.
1: Yeah, one of right we we talked about Romans uh, if. We, we've even talked about it on this podcast, given an overview of, of Paul's introducing himself to them. And to introduce himself, he gives his gospel. And here, as he's defending himself, he is defending himself by saying, well, let me just tell you what I've been trying to tell you all along. Here's the gospel. And we see this really beautiful and clear picture of what happens on the cross Mm. that as Paul says in 1 Corinthians he preaches nothing but Christ and him crucified and then in 2 Corinthians 5 we actually see what Paul means when you're preaching Christ and Christ crucified what Paul ends up saying here in chapter 5 is these wonderful verses these beautiful encouraging verses where he says um, for our sake Uh, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. That switch, that double grace of of our sin going to Christ and his Mm -hmm. righteousness coming to us. And because of that, in chapter 5, we also see this verse of if if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. Your old self has passed away. Mm -hmm. The new creation has come. It's not... There's a real change that happens in you. That Mm. on the cross, we can actually say when Christ died, we died. When he was resurrected, we were resurrected. And there's this wonderful encouragement that we are actually connected and abiding in Christ and that his work actually changes us. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think... The point of encouragement for me is that as Paul begins defending himself, he really just defends the truth of the gospel. Yeah. He's like, hey, let me mm-hmm. remind you what I preach to you, um, that God did what you couldn't do. Mm-hmm. So somebody else comes peddling some other story. Uh, that's all fine and good. But remember that this message is a lot better than the message that they, yeah. <laughs> they are trying right. to get you to uh, believe. As we move on towards the second half of uh, Paul's letter here to the letter of 2 Corinthians, we see uh, he talks a lot about giving, and um, in context, it's really important, uh, or it makes sense in context. Um, We don't know all of the uh, details, but one thing we do know is that the church in Jerusalem is really suffering, Mm -hmm. and they're suffering uh, physical hardship, financial hardship, material hardship. It appears maybe there's a famine of sorts or something like that. Uh, But what strikes me is that Paul is perfectly okay with, and it seems to make perfect sense in Paul's mind, that the church in Corinth, a Gentile church, a long ways from Jerusalem, with no physical relationship to this church, be part of the answer of caring for their brothers and sisters. Mm. To the point where... Uh, This isn't a Hail Mary. Paul just assumes that the Corinthian church will not only be interested, but will be eager to give generously for the needs of the church in Jerusalem. And I think for me what that says is this idea that though they don't have any physical relationship, Paul is saying to them, hey, this is actually your family. Mm. Like y'all are related by blood, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Your Mm. brothers and sisters are suffering. That's right. And uh, God has designed it in such a way that the family of God cares for the family of God. And Mm -hmm. so you have provision. They have lack. What a great opportunity for you to model the gospel that I've been preaching to you. Mm -hmm. The Lord Jesus Christ gave out of his riches to those who were in poverty in order that we might be made rich. By him making himself poor, and he's saying, "Now you get to model the gospel by giving out of your abundance to your brothers and sisters who are in need." Mm. Uh, this is the passage where we, God, where Paul uh, talks about, you know, God loves a cheerful giver, and that the idea of cheerful generosity is one of the marks that the gospel has taken root in our hearts—that yeah. we become like God. Mm. In that we love to give away what we have to impoverish ourselves for the sake of those who are in need. Mm. Uh, so I think as we're getting into the middle chapters of the letter here, that's a lot of what uh, Paul is writing about as he writes about giving uh, the blessing. You know, as we see in other places, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Yeah. Um, there. Why don't you go ahead and just round out with some concluding thoughts as we. As we finish up here. Yeah,
1: I think 2 Corinthians, uh, in some ways, uh, because we've got that defense at the beginning, uh, he kind of returns to his defense at the end. And, and part of that, there's that uh, thorn-in-his-flesh passage in 2 Corinthians 12. We just There's a lot of really personal relationship in 2 Corinthians. And I, th- I think that's good. It helps us to see the way Paul talks to those he loves. But he also, we see that, you know, he loves them dearly and he his appeals remain not of you know, his own standing but it's such an encouragement that his appeals are about what God does first and foremost the most important thing is always God and what he has done and so reading this letter for me is uh, I, I get really encouraged by it just as I see how Paul really puts himself second he really lives out what John the Baptist says of he must increase and mm-hmm. I must decrease in this letter and yeah. It's a really big example and probably an important example for all of us, um, especially in a day and age where fame uh, and recognition is um, the thing that we all seek. And that's probably in every age, but maybe especially in a social media age, mm. uh, seeking our own following. That's just not what Paul's doing. Yeah. He's seeking Christ's following, and that's such an encouragement.
0: Yeah, he's not interested in the promotion of his own name. Yeah, He's interested in the promotion of the name of the Lord Jesus. And while reading some of this may feel like we're just kind of getting an insight to a little bit of a squabble that happened 2,000 years ago, as we've said, 2 Corinthians does what really the Bible does from beginning to end, which is it puts forth the gospel, Yeah, and then it spells out the implication of the gospel for our lives. And so that's incredibly beneficial for us wherever it is that we find ourselves we hope that as you dive into Second Corinthians and the Bible at large, uh, that you'll be met by the Lord Jesus, uh, that you will see him face to face and as a result, uh, grow in your likeness and your love for him. We love you guys till next time.